what I want to talk to us about this morning, the title is Whatever It Takes. And this, you're going to hear me say it a lot, Whatever It Takes. It's a mentality. It's deep. It runs deep. And some people have that mentality in life, whatever it takes. Some incredibly successful people in this world have that mentality, whatever it takes. They will not be defeated. They will not be overcome. Nothing will stop them, and it doesn't matter how long it takes, whatever it takes. Do you ever feel like some results, you know, we want to see some good results. We want to see evidence of just some good things happening. And then sometimes I think of people like Billy Graham and, uh, you know, we're reading a book by Craig Rochelle. You know, these, some of these people have done and seen just some of the most incredible results that it's like I can never even dream or hope to ever say anything like that. Do you, does anybody ever feel like that? Like, that's just something that I'll read in a book. That's not reality. Like, I'll never see that. I'm, I'm too ordinary. You know, my church is too ordinary. My circle of friends is too ordinary. My skills, my knowledge, everything is just so ordinary that I'll never see anything really, truly incredible like that. You know, um, some of y'all might just see all your children serving the Lord, maybe doing things for the kingdom of God. You know, I was talking to Ray about the Bastards. All of their children, all five of their children are operating at an incredibly high level where they're literally, their lives are touching the whole globe in one shape or form. Right from here, right from southeast Louisiana. And there's, there's a lot of people, actually, from southeast Louisiana. David Hogan is Louisiana. I mean, there's a lot of, I'm not, not that Louisiana matters, but you just think, well, it's just Louisiana, or it's just Covington, or it's just me. And that just sounds so small and insignificant. But the fact of the matter is, if we can adopt a whatever-it-takes mentality, and we can see the prize, if we can see the results, that are worth having that mentality for, like whatever it takes, that we can actually see some of those results take place in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. Before I do that, I want to give a couple quick shout-outs. First of all, to everybody here, because y'all are all amazing for being here, but everybody that's been serving in this church, just thank y'all so much for working together with Pastor David and Lori, with us, with Pastor Ray and Laura and uh, Brother Wayne and Sister Beryl and Pastor Denise and just all the people that we've been, we've been working together for a long time, all of our small group leaders, everybody, you know, and it just seems like more and more people are on board, like, let's, let's do this thing, whatever it takes. I, I think I, that's what I kind of sense lately is this whatever it takes, more and more people kind of adopting that mentality, and we're starting to see some fruit from that. One of, the, one of the areas that I want to give a special shout-out to is my mom, Pastor Lori, my wife, Rachel, and Haley, and the whole team, Miss Beth, and everybody that is working together to put this women's retreat on. Rachel, do you want to come up real quick and just give a quick reminder about the women's retreat? Sure. Well, um, so a lot of you are already signed up, and y'all are aware of what's happening. He likes me. Anyway... <laughs> But um, if you haven't signed up for the retreat, I did want to give it a little plug. It's October 19th through the 21st. And as we were worshiping, I was asking God, I'm like, well, what would you even have me say? Because honestly, I've been to a lot of conferences. I've even been to retreats that our church has put on in the years past. And a lot of times we can think, 
I can just do that at home or at church or in small group. God can meet me right where I'm at, and it's so true. Like, he really does. If we seek him, we will find him when we seek him with all of our hearts. He can come in our, in our room right where we're at when we're reading our word or even doing dishes or doing anything. But what he brought to my remembrance was an Acts when all of the people gather together with an expectation of that Holy Spirit to come and fall on them. Amen. And because they all came in, regardless of what was talked about, who was, who was talking, that none of that mattered. It was that expectation that we're coming together and the Holy Spirit's going to fall and it's going to be radical and things are going to change Amen. in us and in the whole world because of Amen. that. And that's my heart going into this retreat because I have those same types of feelings of like, that's a lot of money or is that necessary? Is it worth my time? And I have children and I don't know what y'all feelings are about. I'm just, that's mine. Like I'm not just putting that on y'all, but it's like, God, I know you're bigger and you're great and you have a great plan and you want us all joined together with expectant hearts because this is for you. It's not just about the women. It's about what you want to produce from it. So I just encourage you that if you haven't signed up, to sign up. It's not too late. I know we put a deadline actually for today, but we still have spots available to stay. Or if you just want to do the day pass, it's $85. You can just come during the day. Spend some time with the women, spend time with the Lord, and expect the Holy Spirit to move. And if you want to spend the night, it's $185. We have these beautiful cabins. Two nights. Two nights, yes, Thursday and Friday night. It's going to be food and fellowship and worship. It's going to be beautiful. And most importantly, God's going to show up. And Amen. he's going to change our hearts for the sake of the world, not just for us. Amen. So. Isn't she awesome? <laughs> They've been putting so much work into this. They've been working for a year on this event, a year. It's, it's incredible. I can't wait to see what comes out of it. And then I think that all the ladies that have been working on it are going to celebrate when it's done because it was so much work, but it's worth it. People are worth it. The kingdom of God, the results that we want to see is worth it, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. If we've got to work on something for a year and pour our time and our attention and our focus and money and schedules and babysitters and everything else to make it a reality, we're going to do whatever it takes because we believe in this thing. And one other thing is next week, Pastor Keith Tusi is going to be standing here speaking to us, sharing with us, because we have Band of Brothers this week in Gulfport, and he's coming straight here after Band of Brothers to come minister to us. So if y'all don't know Pastor Keith Tusi, he's the overseer of the network of churches that we belong to. Uh, which is probably at least over 50 churches. But he, he kind of helps oversee that whole operation. And so he's going to be here sharing with us next Sunday. So y'all please be expecting for that, for God to use uh, him in a mighty way right here in his service. But there's three things that I want to touch on today that are going to help us develop a whatever-it-takes mentality. And I'm not, I hope y'all can believe me when I say it. When I say whatever it takes, I'm not just throwing out a cute saying. I'm talking about real grit. I'm talking about someone that is willing to pay the price. I'm talking about somebody who has a whatever it takes mentality. You can put the ball in their court, and it will get to home plate. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. To me, that's what a faithful steward is. Are we genuinely somebody that God can give us a calling, a gift, a purpose, 
a passion, a soul. And when we have a whatever-it-takes mentality that we will slam-dunk that thing home. Do you think you could describe yourself like that? Do you have that kind of confidence, not pride, but confidence that there's something in you that's been developed, that's been grown, that God, give it to me. They, they will be in good hands. I can promise you that. If I got to die, it'll happen. Whatever it takes. And we've seen this gospel message be propagated throughout the earth on the shoulders of people who had a whatever it takes mentality. Not whenever it's convenient, not if I have time, not if it doesn't cost me too much, not if I can clear my schedule, not if I can get a babysitter, not if, not if, not if. No. Okay. Whatever it takes, I'll get it done. And that's what we need to have if we're going to see the results that we believe God wants to produce right here in his church and in your life. This isn't just about this church. It's not just about Covington, even. It's about the kingdom of God, seeing the kingdom of God results with our physical eyes. And we want to see it in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our cities, in our local high schools, in our churches, in our marriages. We want to see the kingdom of God results. There's three areas that I'm going to break down that I feel like need to be in place for us to have that whatever-it-takes mentality. First of all, one of the reasons that people don't see the results is they don't have the passion to see the results. That's going to be the first thing I talk about is passion. They don't believe that the results can happen. They, they're not committed to seeing them, seeing the results because they don't believe that can even really happen. And then thirdly is they don't have the maturity to make it a reality. They don't have the maturity to do what it takes to see it happen. But I believe that we, we can truly be amazed at what God can accomplish, at what he can actually make a reality if we'll partner with him and say, yes, Lord, whatever it takes. First, we need to ask the question, what is it going to take? And then have the mentality, okay, that's what we're going to do, no matter what. No matter what. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 33, through chapter 11, verse 1. It's only two verses, but it spans two chapters. It's kind of funny. It says in the NLT, this is the Apostle Paul, I, too, try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what's best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. How many times have we heard that scripture quoted? Follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. But he, the very verse before that, he actually says what he's doing to imitate. And that is essentially laying down his life, laying down his preferences, and doing whatever he can for others so that they may be saved, so that many, many will be saved. Many. He doesn't say that so some that may be saved or so that one may be saved. He said many may be saved. So the first point that I mentioned, passion. Passion for God and for people is what we need to have 
if we're going to start developing an attitude and a, what's the word I want to say, like a fortitude to do whatever it takes is passion. Galatians 1.10, and this is in the, in the Passion Translation. Passion, that's funny. I'm obviously not trying to flatter you or water down my message to be popular with men, but my supreme passion is to please God. For if all I attempt to do is please people, I would fail to be a true servant of Christ. Now, don't get that confused with the last verse when he said, I'll do everything to please people to win many. Here he's saying, if it comes push to shove, pleasing God or pleasing people, he's going to please God. He's not going to violate his convictions in following Jesus to please people. But anything less than that or less important than kingdom of God values and sin and things like that, he'll lay down all of his preferences to please people so that he can build a bridge to, the, to these people so that he can bring them Christ. Can y'all see the difference there? Hopefully that doesn't confuse anybody. You know, personally, I just shared momentarily about my uh, testimony, how I was in a pit of despair, and then I gave my life to Christ, and I could see myself sitting in his hands like a kindergartner with my Indian style, with my legs crossed, you know, and, um, and just feeling that total peace because I was in his hands. And, and I always, believe it or not, that, that was in 2006, so we're almost 18 years later. Yo, I always look back to that moment. I really do. I always look back to that FEMA trailer, and I remind myself how he came and he got me. I was so rebellious, yo. I was so much of a know-it-all. I was so hard-headed and immature. And he didn't care about any of that. He still came swooping in and saved me. And because of that, I always feel this longing to bring him pleasure. I always feel this longing to be a good investment to him. Like, God, you're going to be so happy you saved me. Does anybody ever feel like that? God, I'm going to be the best investment you ever invested in. I want to produce a harvest. I want my life to produce a harvest 30, 60, 100 times, 1,000 times fold. He didn't put that one in the Bible, but can we do 1,000? Can we do 1,000 times that which was planted? In Romans 9, 2 through 3, Again, the Apostle Paul in, in the New Living Translation, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. And I wanted to take this as an opportunity, again, just to highlight what is going on in Israel and how heartbreaking that is and how much that breaks God's heart. Even the Apostle Paul, who was a Jew himself, and y'all realize... This whole Bible and everybody in it was essentially Jewish almost that brought this to us, this treasure to us. All came from that little bitty country, Israel, years and years ago. It's just so incredible. And how grateful we should be for that. And Paul loved his people so much. He said, I will be willing to be forever cut off from Christ. Like he would forsake his own salvation. Not that he would forsake his love for God but he'd give away even his own salvation if they would be saved. That's passion. Passion for God? I want to be an incredible investment to you, Lord. Passion to please him, and then passion for people that whatever it takes, 
We want to see them saved. We want to see them born again. We want to see them prosper. God is so good, and we have to have this burning inside of us that says he's so good, and I believe that so much, and I just have to share him with other people. They have to experience what I've experienced. I can't keep it to myself. And I'm going to move now to the second point. The first one just now was passion for God and people. The second is focused on kingdom results. And y'all heard me mention that a lot of people, they don't believe the results can happen. So they're not focused on it. Why would you focus on something that you don't believe could ever be a reality? So much that you don't do anything about it. And, you know, we kind of, what we know about faith is how faith is evidenced by works. And we can say a lot of things that sound like faith, but our works are really going to sift us out. Our works are going to really show what we believe. Our bank account's going to show what we believe. Our calendar is going to show what we believe. So when I talk about focusing on kingdom results, our lives are going to start to reflect the belief that kingdom results can happen in our life and everywhere around us. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I own a little business, very small, me and a, a buddy of mine, and we do commercial facility maintenance and plumbing and things like that. And my little, my, the name of my business is Abita Solutions. We live in Abita, so that sounded cool. And then I like the word solutions, so I tacked that on there. And this little slogan that I attached to it, and it's in my logo, is focused on solutions. And y'all would not believe, I, I would challenge anybody in here, even if it's your life, your family, your mission statement for your life, put something there. Focus on solutions. I can't tell you how many times having that phrase in my company's logo, in my business's name, motivates us to overcome any obstacle to find the solution. You can ask Jimmy, one of my best friends. He works with me. We're always saying it. Focus on solutions, baby. You know, like we'll figure something out. We run into a brick wall, and we're just like trying to find any way possible to break through this thing. And sometimes it can be so defeating and so demoralizing. And like, we're going to have to wave the white flag. But it's like, no, we're not waving the white flag. Put the white flag away. We're focused on solutions. There is a solution. And we're going to find it. But we won't find it if we're not focused on it. If we're easily distracted or focused by the problem, focused by everything that's broken and what's wrong and all the obstacles and, oh, man, ugh, ah, you got to cut through all of that and focus on the solution. Focus on the kingdom results. Cut through the noise and see the result. Even if it's hiding and it, whatever, if you got to move some stuff out the way, clear your mind, get refocused on the results that you want to see. Don't be negative. Don't make excuses. Don't be lazy. Don't procrastinate. Don't belittle other people who are showing results. That sometimes makes us feel a little bit better. Yeah, I know they got it going on, but they're doing something wrong. They compromised. You know, I know they got a lot of money, but that's because they're greedy. I know they got a great job, but that's because they just stomp on people's faces up the ladder. I know they got a growing church, but they must be watering down the gospel. Stop all that. Just stop, stop. Throw all that away. That will definitely prevent you 
from seeing the results in your life. Look at yourself and look at the results and what's in between you and those results. In 2 Corinthians 3, 2 through 3, I love this. This is Paul talking about some results that he's seen in his life. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is not written with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved on tablets of stone, not on stone, but on human hearts. I love that. You want to know something about me? Look at the results. You want to know something about our family? Look at the results. You want to know something about this God that we serve? Look at the results. You want to know something about our church? Look at the results. That's a, that's a good one. You know, I'll, I'll just throw this out there. You know, we've been in a small church my whole life, basically. And so I've heard all kinds of negativity toward large churches. And I've shared in those, that negativity of large churches. Like the example I gave, like, they must be watering down the truth, or they're seeker-friendly, or they're this, or they're that. And then I look at some of these churches, and I know some of these people that go to these churches that have been in there their whole life. And they're some of the most incredible men and women of God that I know. And they're growing, and they're seeing results, and they're breaking through expectations, and they're producing, they're reaching the community, they're doing this, they're doing that. And then who am I (laughs) that doesn't have those same results to show to be critical of them? And when we get to maturity, we're going to talk a little bit about this. But we we got to own up and say, what is keeping us from those same results? Are they just more gifted? Did they, walk, did they roll out of the right side of the bed and we rolled out of the wrong side of the bed? You know, does God just have a special favor on their life to do something awesome and not so much us or me or what? No, none, none of that. God wants to do amazing results through every person in this room. God wants to make a Billy Graham out of everybody here. In different ways, you know, not doing the exact same thing, but that level of spiritual kingdom impact and results. And in a lot of ways, sometimes you might not actually see it in the natural, some of those results. Luke uh, Luke 7.35, Jesus says, this isn't on your screen, but wisdom is shown by its results. The Pharisees, they were attacking Jesus. They were attacking John the Baptist. Oh, he's a drunkard. Oh, he's a demon. Oh, he's a this. He hangs out with sinners. He's this, he's that, he's this, he's that. And Jesus is saying, wisdom is shown by the children that it produces or by the followers that follow it or the results. So when we're talking about these results, 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 we got to be able to see the desired outcome. And a lot of people, you'd hear that called vision which can be a mystical, spooky type of word to kind of get your hands around. Like, what is, what is vision? Yeah, yeah. I hear people talking about vision, vision, vision. What is, what is it? It's the desired result. It's the desired result. That's all it is. You got to use your imagination. You got to partner with God by faith. 
And you got to say, God, what do you want to see happen? What do you want to see happen in this area of my life? What do you want to see happen in Covington? What do you want to see happen at the tabernacle? What do you want to see happen in my small group? What do you want to see happen in my workplace? Get a vision of the results and then don't let go of them. Focus on them. Be a pit bull and lock down on that thing. And don't let any of the negativity or any of the reasons why not stop you. Focus on solutions. Focus on the results. Focus on the vision. And then once you see it, commit yourself to do whatever it takes to get there. For some of us parents, that might be our children demonstrating genuine faith. Some business leaders, that might be seeing kingdom values and culture obviously reflected in our business. Students, uh, it could be, be having good grades, having the favor of teachers, friends coming to Jesus. Spouses, how about a fun and vibrant marriage that's full of love and a spouse that's growing in their faith. Small group leaders, how about a, a growing group, new leaders being raised up, and, and a place that people can't wait to get to. Team leaders, how about a team that's excited and ready to serve God's people with excellence? And how about all disciples of Jesus is disciples being made? You know, I, I had this thought, it's pretty easy to call ourselves a Christian. Would you all agree? I'm a Christian. That's easy. It rolls right off the tongue, and it lumps us in with all the Christian schools and colleges and organizations and churches, and we just... I'm a Christian. Even non-Christians, they can say it so easily. I'm a Christian. But can we say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? Amen. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's the same thing. But it doesn't roll off the tongue quite as easy. It's more syllables, yes, but there's more meaning there. There's more depth. If I say, I follow X, you would expect to see evidence of X in my life. If I say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, you should see evidence of Jesus Christ in your life. Right? Depending on the, the degree of maturity, which we're, we're, we're about to get to here. I was convicted here uh, Tuesday night when Pastor Chris was here. He was talking to our men and for our men's huddle, and he challenged us. He, he, he his, the title of what he wanted to share was Efficiency Versus Effectiveness. And it's easy, in a sense, to be efficient. And the way I would summarize that, the way he shared it is, basically checking all the boxes. You know, got up early, did my devotional, go to church, didn't say a curse word today, you know, da 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 Very efficient. But not really paying attention to the results which requires effectiveness. And then you start to get to a little bit of maybe a little discomfort because when you honestly evaluate the results around you, maybe they're not as encouraging as it was when you were just checking all the boxes. And then there's some conviction that comes in. I was feeling convicted. Chris shared a story about his nine-year-old daughter. They spotted her during worship at church with her arms raised, singing this song, worshiping God. And my children, obviously, I adore. And Ava's eight. But I was like, man, I couldn't picture Ava doing that. 
And everybody's different. That's okay. But what it brought it back to was, am I being effective as a parent in raising up my children in the way they should go? Am I being effective as a parent helping them grow in their faith? And I was cut because I couldn't think of what I was really doing intentionally, consistently, to help set them up for that kind of success in their walk with God. I felt so convicted. And here I am, you know, supposed to be a pastor, preaching to y'all, and I'm not even, like, really focusing on developing my own child's faith. That's embarrassing, honestly, to admit. But Chris challenged us, find somebody before you leave tonight and ask them to hold you accountable. Whatever it is in your life that you're convicted of, that you need to change, do, whatever it is, to see or be effective and see results, confess that to somebody here and ask them to hold you accountable to it. And Paul Labee was right next to me, so I told him, and he's like, me too. That was the same thing for him. And then I told him, I sleep in too late. I'm self-employed. I have a lot of liberty, and I sleep later than I should. That's how I felt in my heart. And it leads to not being a good leader of my children because now now I'm kind of going down a a rabbit trail here, but I think it would be helpful to you all. So I would sleep in, and then I would want to get my coffee, get my Bible, spend some time with the Lord, but the kids are waking up now. And so I'm more about, like, them going to do their thing so I can do my thing. And what the Lord was showing me is I need to get up before they get up, do my thing, so that I can do their thing. And Rachel was doing a little devotional with the kids every day. She's incredible. I can't give her enough shout-outs. <laughs> and the Lord convicted me that I need to be the one doing those devo- devotionals with my kids. Little five-minute things, ten-minute things, they get a little color and sheet. But I needed to take care of Lee before I could take care of them. So that's something that I did this week. I told Paul about it. He said the same thing. He needs to wake up earlier. So Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, me and Paul were texting each other at 5.30 in the morning. I'm up. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I really wanted to hit the snooze, but I'm up. You know, like. And then did the devotionals with the kids, you know. And by faith, doing what I should be doing, which is whatever it takes, I hope to see those desired results, which is my kids with their hands up, lift, worshiping Jesus. Amen? Amen? So the third point, all right, here we go. Spiritual maturity. This is my favorite part, honestly. This was, I struggle with this message so much, y'all, because I was so stuck on this part, but I didn't really know how to deliver it. But spiritual maturity, first of all, you can't be capable of doing whatever it takes without spiritual maturity to see kingdom results. You can't do it. It's impossible. What I'd like to introduce is, or stimulate, is some thinking. What do y'all think about when you hear the word spiritual maturity? Y'all can shout it out if you want. You don't have to, but if you'd like. Any ideas? What is it? Walking in love. Spiritual maturity. You've overcome many trials in your life. Overcome many trials in your life. Tested. Over time. Wisdom. Realizing what you know to have all grace. 
Yes, realizing that what you know isn't all there is to know. We don't know everything. That's humility. Some really good examples. Never giving up. Love never gives up. Let me tell you some things that I thought of that maybe some other people have thought of. When they think of spiritual maturity, they think of white hair, gray hair. They think of knowledge. They can quote chapters and verses to you, just theology, masters, just understand the Greek, Hebrew, this, that, and the other. Platform, big platforms, talking to thousands of people maybe, spiritual maturity. The funny thing about the things that I listed, the things that y'all listed were better than the things that I listed. But the thing about the things that I listed was that you can have all of those things and not have spiritual maturity. You can be old. Not that if you have gray hair or white hair, you're old. I'm just, just saying. You can memorize the whole Bible and not have spiritual maturity. You can have all the knowledge, no spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is the spirit of God's maturation in our life. The maturation of the spirit of God's control on our life. It starts as a seed when we're born again. That little faith that lets Christ in to bring new life. And then when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Holy Spirit as a believer, that, could, that influence starts to grow in us, in our life. And it takes time in a lot of ways. It needs to be tested. There needs to be knowledge gained. There needs to be an exercising of love. There needs to be humility. And all of these things are allowing the Spirit of God to have more control over our life more control over our mouth, our hands, our time, our schedules, our calendars, our, our bank accounts, our futures, our passions, our children, our family times, all of these things. How much control does God's Spirit have over your life? That gauges your maturity in the Lord. How mature is He in your life? And some ways that we're able to see this is, for example, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. How evident is love in your life? How evident? And when I say evident, let's be honest here. We're talking about results. Let's flip it, okay? How evident is it to others? that you have love? How evident is it to others that you have joy? How evident is it to others that you have peace, kindness, gentleness? Oh, I'll skip the big one, patience. How evident is it to others your patience? Like, wow, they are so patient. And it takes tests and things to show some of, these, some of this. How about this? I'll get, you, I'll get you real good. If you haven't been gotten already, I'm going to get you real good. How about the people closest to you? What would they say about the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? The ones who see you behind closed doors. The ones who lay in bed with you at night. Your spouse. Your children. They see you tested. And they see you in private 
where you don't have the accountability of other adults or other people. When your child breaks something and this happens or they didn't do this or that, would they say, Daddy's very patient with me? Not always, but that is a fruit of the Spirit. So hopefully we're growing to maturity where those evidences in our life, those results are very evident to others. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. Maybe there's some areas where the Holy Spirit's had a lot of control. He's done a lot of things, changed a lot of things. And don't trick yourself. Some people are just naturally more patient than others. I'm so patient. Well, is it the Holy Spirit exercising his patience through you, or is that just you being patient because you're patient? Just some thoughts. That's between you and God. But the key is that he is living through us. He's filling every nook and cranny of our life. And he's gaining more and more control of us. That's spiritual maturity. The new life. It's not about me anymore. This is a big one. It's not about me anymore. Not holding on to my preferences. In 1 Corinthians 9.10, in the Passion Translation, this is the Apostle Paul. Now, even though I am free from obligations to others... I joyfully make myself a servant to all in order to win as many converts as possible. I thought that was so powerful. In fact, I believe this whole message was birthed off of that one scripture. So I should read it again, right? Now, even though I am free from obligations to others, I joyfully make myself a servant to all in order to win as many converts as possible. That's spiritual maturity. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was the perfect example of spiritual maturity, obviously, because he had the spirit without limit. He is God in the flesh. He, God, he is God, has total control over that human life that he was in. So he's a reflection of what peak spiritual maturity looks like, which is very selfless. He was willing to humble himself, come out of heaven, be born in a barn to a poor couple, be raised up in a carpenter's home, learn to trade, do the whole thing, get his splinters and all of that. Maybe he didn't get splinters, maybe, I don't know. He was God. I don't think he would have intentionally given himself a splinter. Am I wrong? I don't think he would have done that. Maybe he did just to show us he was human because he's so humble. No, he can't do things on accident. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> God is the definition of spiritual maturity. He humbled himself. He served. It wasn't about him. And spiritual maturity is very comfortable and very confident, not in a prideful way, but in I'm good way. Let me help you. I'm taken care of. Let me serve you. And where does that confidence come from? In Mark 3, 30, I mean Mark 8, 35. For if you let your life go for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, you will continually experience true life. But if you choose to keep your life for yourself, 
you will forfeit what you try to keep. There's a confidence as you grow in your faith and develop spiritual maturity that you're going to be okay no matter what. That nobody can take advantage of you. That, no, that you can't give too much because you'll be broke. That you can't give too much time because you won't have any left for yourself. That you can't spend any of your energy because you got to wake up for work in the morning. You might lose your job or whatever. You're good. There's a confidence. There's a knowing that allows you to freely give and share because you know that your supply is connected straight to heaven. And it's endless. We're talking about spiritual maturity. To do whatever it takes to see kingdom results. Kingdom results come from heaven through us. I'll say it one more time. Kingdom results. When Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, your will be done on heaven, I mean on earth, as it is in heaven, means Kingdom power, knowledge, wisdom, fruit of the Spirit from God to the earth manifested in results that we can see through us. But we have to be willing to do whatever it takes to let that through, to bring it in, to bring it down. You know, Rachel touched on it just for a split second but, you know, a lot of us sometimes will pray for revival. We'll pray for this. We'll pray for that. But the answer to seeing it is through us. It's through us believing that it can happen and then being willing to do whatever it takes until we see it happen. Just everybody just believing and pulling together. We're going to see this happen. We're going to see this place full. We're going to see souls saved. We're going to have so many baptisms, we won't have time for a service. It'll just be baptisms one Sunday. We want to see it. We want to see it. What do we have to do? What do we have to do? Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And all of a, and all of a sudden, we can't fit enough people in the building, and somebody calls it revival. I think I'm speaking truth. I think I'm speaking truth. I really do. God can do anything. But he has chosen to limit himself through the door of faith that you and I possess. And he's knocking on that door. And he wants us to open that door of faith. He wants us to agree with him in what he wants to see happen. These, this vision, these desired results, these desired kingdom manifested on earth results. And then he wants us to have the belief that it can happen and the maturity to lay ourselves aside to do whatever it takes to make it happen, like he did. He didn't let one thing, even staying in heaven, stop him from doing whatever it took. The Father did whatever it took to make the desired result happen, which was for every person in this building to be able to sit in this room and have eternal life. He gave up his son. You can't tell me he wasn't going to do whatever it took. If he could have done less, he probably would have done less. But what it actually required, your salvation and my salvation, what it actually required was blood. Real, real physical blood. Whatever those minerals are made up of, iron and all kinds of stuff. White cells, 
white red cells, blood, all that. Real physical blood needed to be shed for you and for me for our salvation. But it couldn't be guilty blood because then it would only be paying the price of the guilt from that particular blood. Couldn't be my blood for you. It had to be my blood for me. And then I'm gone. I'm dead. I'm gone. I'm lost. It's over. No life. It had to be somebody else's blood that was guiltless. And it was only one that could do that. And it was his son in heaven to go move into a human body and go through the whole thing that you and I have to go through so that we could have eternal life. Whatever it takes, that's what God's mentality was. Whatever it takes. And then his son's mentality was, whatever it takes. There's no price too high. There's no cost too great. Y'all can buy your heads with me this morning, Ray, if you want to come up.